is a, an interesting and uh, wonderful holiday in the church, Pentecost, and we probably don't do as much to celebrate it as we ought to, or could, or may. Um, it's, it is, as Clark said in the announcement, the birthday of the church, um, but not only theologically, but traditionally, there are a lot of interesting experiences connected with it. In the traditions of the Western Church, uh, according to the calendar and the date that Easter comes, Pentecost can come anywhere from early May, like the 6th or 7th of May, until the 12th or 13th of June. So we're, we're just about at the, the latest that we can celebrate Pentecost. So it always comes in the spring. Uh, and in most of the early church, of course, that was a period of time when people were celebrating spring and crops and greenery and weather getting a little warmer. And... Uh, they were yearning for it, kind of like us this year, I guess. And, um, and so it acquired some of the same customs that we associate with the pagan rituals of May Day. They sort of translated it over in, into this. So uh, there were pageants and holidays and the gathering of crops and that sort of thing, the new, new crops. And so in Germany, it was customary to bring green boughs into the church, uh, to celebrate spring. Uh, in Italy and southern France, uh, the early harvest of various fruits and vegetables was celebrated. And it continued in some places to be customary at the Pentecost services to wear green. In England and some other areas, those who had been baptized that Easter again wore their Easter white outfits. And if the people who had not been ready to be baptized at Easter were baptized on Pentecost. In fact, St. Luke's is having baptism at the 11 o'clock service today of, of two children. This is the, the second most important day to be baptized. And then people would wear white to that baptism and the, uh, the ones to be baptized and the ones who had been baptized at Easter. So wearing white became custom in England. And in England, still in many parts of the British Isles, this is known as Whitsunday, White Sunday. Um, but it also became the custom, because partly because it was spring and the weather was nice and people wanted to be outside celebrating it. It began, uh, they began to stage outdoor pageants on this day, the Pentecost plays. And um, the town of Chester in England has a famous set of these plays, which are still extant. And if you studied early English history or literature, you've probably heard of the miracle plays. Uh, when uh, these outdoor dramas were performed by the various trade guilds and they depicted all the great stories, well, only the dramatic stories out of the Bible uh, that were put on one story for each trade guild, from oh, Noah's Ark to the Resurrection. And the most, uh, one of the best roles was that of Herod, who stormed about the stage roaring, tearing his hair. He really had the best part in all the Pentecost plays. digress. Um, you remember in Hamlet that some players come to put on a play? Some of you nod. You can nod even if you don't remember. <laughs> I'm taking notes. <laughs> and he tells the actors to, you know, to act more natural, not to overdo it. He said, don't try to out-Herod Herod, because this was a, 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 would have been understood by the audience as referring to these Pentecost plays. In some English cathedrals, including Canterbury, 
there are Pentecost holes through the roof, and uh, so that the Holy Spirit could be could come down into the cathedral on Pentecost. That may be why we have holes in our roof. I <laughs> would often drop red flower petals down through these holes to symbolize the Holy Spirit. And in some places, apparently, they, are, they use bits of burning straw. I don't think our insurance company would <laughs> like this one very much. But um, So we have to stick to flowers when we do that. And there are some cathedrals in England that still do drop petals down through these Pentecost holes on Pentecost. So we're obviously in the wrong place for an exciting morning, but um, we'll think of Also in many of the churches throughout early, uh, the early church in, in Europe, they would uh, mount carvings or models of doves above the altar to exemplify the Holy Spirit. And remember that this is not the only time when the Holy Spirit is depicted as a dove. Remember in at least one of the stories of Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit comes as a dove, uh, flies over him. So, in contemporary times, and especially true in the United States, some parishes make or distribute origami doves at Pentecost. And uh, it's kind of a wonderful combination of East and West, I think, for our church. In the United States, the American church, we use red vestments, as you saw today. And the members of the congregation are invited to wear red. You get special credit if you get today. <laughs> Uh, if you don't, do so next year. And it uh, gives you a year to buy something red. Um, it's hard for somebody who went to Cal to have many red clothes. So <laughs> I'm happy to wear red vestments because I don't need to buy any that much. Some churches also, and I wish I'd thought of it ahead of time, but they, have, they read the lessons in more than one language. And um, I was just telling Pat Brett that I might, have, <coughs> I might have been able to fake French if I had a French Bible. And I could have read it in Old English, and you wouldn't have known whether I did that right or not. So. But uh, I should have started out earlier to... to arrange that. So maybe that's my assignment for next Pentecost. And if you read in other languages, let me know. I'd be, it'd be fun to do that, I think. Um, around here, though, we might find our most familiar other languages to be something like Fortran or Pascal or Cobol or <laughs> Java or C++. <laughs> I have no idea what those are. My godson told me some names of computer languages. If you don't know what they are, uh, it's all right. I think it's still, it's still safe in Silicon Valley not to know those words. Oh, Pentecost, then, is a culmination of the Easter season. You notice that we still use some of the prayers for Eastertide. We said, uh, Christ is risen, hallelujah, uh, and so on. This is really the last day of the celebration of Easter. And even though it seems to start a new season, because now we count the Sundays as so many Sundays after Pentecost, it really is the culmination and the end of the Easter season. So the concepts, the season, the symbols, they all lend themselves to a joyous celebration. Goethe called this Das Lebefest, uh, the lovely feast. 
See, I can't read German. <laughs> three, three words. A priest recently online that, uh, wrote online that in his parish, children were given long poles with red streamers on them and invited to run around the church during the service as symbols of the tongues of fire that touched the disciples. I'm not sure how I would go over here. <laughs> Hallelujah. The, the, the kids might like it, but I'm not sure how much the rest of it. And I'm not going to suggest it to Father Brewer. Well, the theology of Pentecost is, is perhaps just as interesting. Um, because at Pentecost, humans are sent a divine gift. The act of creation, which revealed God the Father, is a great and overpowering mystery. And the entering of the divine into human life in the man Jesus is a process in time and filled with both joy and pain, like most human lives. And it culminates with the ascension as Jesus the Son reassumes his divine existence. But the Holy Spirit is referred to as a gift. This miraculous offering of God to be with us, to guide us and inspire us and protect us is a free offering. And the fruit of this divine gift is the beginning of the ministry of the disciples, not as part of the crowd around Jesus, but on their own. Notice it's Peter who preaches, not Jesus, in the, the account in Acts. And that's why we call it the birthday of the church. The term spirit, of course, is related to the word for breath. Um, and the symbols of this gift are fire and wind. There's a movement and power in these, and the spirit is for the whole world. Jesus has said to his disciples that he can't teach them everything. They aren't ready. And in John's gospel, he promises that he will send a guide and a companion and a teacher to help them after he's completed his earthly ministry. In today's Gospel reading from John, one version of the gift of the Spirit is reported. It occurs in one of the post-resurrection stories. Jesus appears to his followers and verifies himself to them by showing them his hands and his side. He offers them peace and breathes on them and gives them the gift of the Spirit. The account in Acts is perhaps more dramatic, and Jesus is not reported to be present. But again, the disciples are together, hiding out. It's Pentecost. And in this account, we hear of the tongues of fire and the speaking in a variety of different languages, even though these disciples apparently were not known to speak these languages. Notice this is not speaking in tongues. This is not that unknown vocal garble that needs to be interpreted. These are real languages but being spoken by people who weren't known to know them. So that each hearer heard in his or her own language. Pentecost for the Jews. Now you might wonder why that story in Acts starts out. It was Pentecost and they were... Because the Pentecost was a, a Jewish festival that occurred 50 days, hence Pent, Penta, after the Passover. And in Hebrew called the Shavuot. And for Christians, Pentecost is 50 days after Easter. Seven weeks plus Easter day. Shavuot celebrated an early harvest of spring crops, so when the disciples gathered, it was on a holiday, and the city would have had many guests in prison, of pilgrims there to celebrate, and it's a perfect time to reveal the teachings of Jesus to the world. 
and Jesus had instructed them to do so. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth, sometime later, the idea of the Spirit as a guide and a teacher is already established in Christian belief and practice, and Paul attributes to the Spirit the variety of talents and skills and aptitudes that various people have. He sees this variety as occurring through the wisdom and plan of God, and it's from the Spirit, the gift of God, that we receive our gifts. So following Paul's explanation, we need not worry that we can't do everything. We each have certain gifts and should use them as best we can for the spreading of God's good news by word and deed. We should not covet somebody else's talent. It's important, too, to see that none of these gifts is to be valued more than others. Our abilities and opportunities are different, but we're all, they're all of equal value to God. Too many of us will waste the talents we are given because we think we should have other abilities. And as a result, we do not offer the best that is in us to God's service. We tend to reinforce a hierarchy of gifts. Each community has many needs. Each of us has a talent and a gift. We need not all be acolytes or older guild members or singers or gardeners. Is the one who cooks more important than the one who teaches? Is the one who washes dishes more important than the plumber? Is the handyman more important than the doctor? The Spirit is telling us that they're all equally useful if they're used to God's service. God is telling us that we have all received the free gift of a guide and a mentor who will help us make the most of our lives and will also offer us new teachings and new ways of dealing with the world. We just need to observe and reflect and share ideas. <clears throat> things in the world will change, and things in the church will change. Our church teaches that our faith is based on three areas of knowledge. Scripture, tradition, and reason, which includes experience. Our knowledge can and should be enlarged through the Holy Spirit. It's a gift given to humans on Pentecost, and through that gift, we'll be able to understand new ideas and new relationships. There's surely no reason to presume that in some areas of life, all ideas are fixed forever, and in others, new understandings are embraced. We should be concerned whenever we hear of a group calling itself Christian who require exact adherence to old prescriptions and rules yet are happy to embrace the newest medical treatments for themselves or try to be the first with their newest electronic gadget. They separate their day-to-day -day lives from their spiritual selves. If we hold on to the old and say we must do what we've always done, I'm looking at Deborah Nay, who's a dental hygienist, and I think if I had to have my teeth worked on 150 years ago, I don't think I would want to hold on to the old traditional practices the way we've always done it. And yet many people are quite willing to hold that in their religious beliefs, practices, and assumptions. Pardon me for citing that. <laughs> God is doing a new thing with the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
that's why in some ways it's not only the birthday of the church, but the birthday for Christians, as Clark said. It is, as Gerta said, a lovely feast. So I hope today and every day you'll celebrate the spirit that guides you and give thanks for this continuation in you of the good news. Amen. Amen. Amen.